0: This is the Door Knocker Podcast, where we dive into the explosive growth of the sales industry. We take an in-depth look with the industry's top talent to uncover what has made them successful as salespeople, leaders, and entrepreneurs. We believe all of life's opportunities are just behind the next door. With that being said, opportunities knocking. I'm your host, Zach Ross. Right, cool. So on today's episode, I have Kelly uh, Rawlings. Um, you know, a couple points I think that are important with Kelly. Uh, you know, graduated from BYU, Idaho, with a finance and marketing degree. Currently married with a couple of kids. Um, partner in the Standard Region uh, at Vivint, managed over you know thirty thousand career smart home accounts. Top, which puts you in the top five history of smart homes all time at Vivint. Um, over a hundred solar deals in the last twelve months uh, your current region also doing, you know, as a, as a total over 1500 solar accounts. So Kelly, appreciate you coming on here, man. Um, you know, just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Where'd you grow up? Kind of a little bit of your early history. Yeah.
1: So I actually, um, I, I grew up in Preston, Idaho. So for those that are listening that are maybe outside of Utah and Idaho, um, if you've ever seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite, um, that was actually the town that I grew up in. So, (laughs) so believe it or not, you're gonna think this is funny. Um, all the people that were in that movie that were actually the background actors. Those were people that I went to school with the tater tot guy. His name was Bracken Johnson.
0: Like come on. the
1: nicest, 100% the nicest person on the planet earth. Right. So when you see him in this, this movie where he's a bully, I'm like, dude, Bracken Johnson fished at Johnson reservoir. That's what he did. Right. So <laughs> anyways, like it was, it was kind of funny, but when we got the call, um, my twin brother, Kobe and I, they said, Hey, do you want to come be in this movie? And, and I'm like, well, where's he going to be in Preston? And we're like, what in the world's made Preston? No. Right. And so I look back now, I kind of laugh. We missed our 15 minutes of glory, right? Because that was it. So we missed it. So now Vivint's kind of my second, you know, my, my second path. So anyways, I grew up in Preston, Idaho. Um, That really was our town. Those were our lockers. Uh, I grew up on a dairy farm. So it was a farming community. Um, We milked about 300, you know, head of cows, two to three times a day. It started two and then it went to three. Um, You know, so I grew up you yeah, you'd milk your first set, you'd milk them at three thirty in the morning and then about nine thirty in the morning. And then, you know, in the early afternoon, and you would do that, um, you know, seven days a week. Now we didn't always do that. So I don't want to lead on that way, but we did it a couple of times a week. And, uh, then we had about five to 600 acres of land that we would farm. So we had, you know, barley, alfalfa, and corn that we would go and produce. And then we would, you know, feed the cows with that. And then the excess we would sell. So, um, I grew up hunting, fishing. I love that stuff. So that's kind of Obviously, as you said, I have a, my wife's name is Kid. I've got two awesome kids and, and life is good. So, anyways, I, that's kind of where I grew up. I,
0: I, dude, I, I saw Napoleon. I mean, I don't even know when that movie came out now, but I was a kid. Yeah. Right. And I think I saw, it was the, I saw that movie 11 times in the theater or something crazy. I mean, I thought that, I, I, that's like the <laughs> funniest thing. Like, I mean, is that the yeah. vibe out there, bro, or what? I mean, like, did they hit the nail on the head? Like, what, where did that Not, come from?
1: So, so what's funny is just, you know all the people like i said the background like the the mr poor that shoots the cow like those are real farmers like the country those are real homes you know it's a farming community so it's small town it was the time you know two three a so nothing nothing to write home about but a lot of those actors and people were just people hey do you want to come and stand in it was like sure so i mean apart from the three acts so yeah i mean it was that those were our lockers that was our high school all those things were real like that's what made it funny is it was like that's actually preston you know so now I love Preston, but it's small.
0: Yeah, and so did anyone get rich off that? I mean, like, did anybody in Preston like make some money? Like, are those background? You know, so the so
1: the, the the guy that made it, his name's Jared Hess. He's actually done Nacho Libre and some of those other films, and so yeah, I'm sure he's done really well because obviously people have seen Nacho Libre was great. He's written a couple other you know movies that were that are funny. So I mean, yeah, I'm sure he's crushing it.
0: Yeah, but none so, of like the farmers or like no know, or or no, what? they were
1: just guys. Hey, do you want to? you're free. Do you want to come stand in and like have your two minutes of glory? It's like 500 bucks or something,
0: whatever, like yeah, (laughs) sign this contract. That's amazing. Um, cool. So you got a twin brother. Uh, you guys are partnered on your region. Yep. Cool, man. And then
1: Uh, my younger brother, I'm actually fortunate. My younger brother, Riley, um, he also has worked with us for his whole life. So it's the three brothers. And then now I've got a brother-in-law that works with as well. So it's kind of a family gang, you
0: know? Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, so, how'd you get started in the door issue, man?
1: Yeah, so I, uh, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and so I went and served. A, so I went and played a year of junior college basketball in, in Washington, um, and then I went and served a mission. And when I got back from my mission, um, I kind of planned it out in my mind that where I was going to go play there for a year. I was going to go on my mission, and hopefully, I would be good enough to go and walk on at a D one school in, in somewhere in Utah, right? So I got back from my mission, I walked on at UVU. Um, needless to say, that wasn't a great experience. I wasn't good enough, but um, walked on and I was trying to save money because I knew, Hey, I'm probably not going to be able to, to work and do those things. Um, and so I need to have a job. So I was actually doing decorative curbing and fencing for my uncle. And it just so happens that we had a job in Preston, Idaho. And so I was doing this job. And one of my really close friends from high school stopped by and said, Hey, we were catching up. He'd actually got home right before the summer. So he'd actually done a summer with apex. And so anyways, in this conversation, we're talking about our missions and whatnot. He says, Hey, I just got introduced to this direct to home sales opportunity with apex. And he, and he tells me, Hey, I had a really good experience. I love the people I worked with. And then, you know, of course at the end, he says, I dude, I made 63 grand. Well, coming from a small town, he said that I laughed. I'm like, Danny, Danny Porter was his name. Still one of my close friends. Um, I said, there's no way that you made that much money. I said, if you can show me that that's even remotely true, I'm in like yesterday. So anyways, he validated his check. He showed me his, his, his compensation. and he set up a meeting to go meet with his then regional, which was Brian Haney and VP. Um, and so I went down to, I was in pro at the time. So they came down um, to meet me when I went back to school and and I sat down. And needless to say, I was, we always laughed. We were, we were an easy sell just because we were PhDs. We were poor, hungry, and driven. So we were like, <laughs> we were like, dude, I already know it's real. He did it. He was our, you know, kind of our friend in high school. So I was like, if he can do it, I can do it. Needless to say, we, you know, we, we signed up right then and there and said, yeah, how, how do we, how do we do this? Right. So, Anyways, that was the start of our journey into the direct-to-home world, you know?
0: I love that. You and Bodhi, everyone with their everyone with their little acronyms, right? Bodhi said, j- j- job, just over broke, like PhD, poor, you know, yeah, I love it. Um, so where'd you serve your mission?
1: Maryland, Baltimore, Spanish speaking. So it's Maryland, Baltimore, but it was, I was called to serve Spanish speaking. So the way the church works is, we, we have our prophets and apostles that go and extend those callings. And you don't really, you can say, hey, I'd like to go here, but they they, you know, we believe that through inspiration they make those calls and you go where you're called right and so I always wanted to learn Spanish and so I was hoping I would go you know li- live in some foreign country but I didn't so when I opened up my letter I saw Maryland at first I'll be honest I was kind of disappointed and then it said Spanish speak I'm like you know what as long as I've got Spanish like I'm good and because I'd growing up on the dairy farm a lot of the people that helped us were Spanish so I always thought man if I could just talk to these people that would be so cool for me and it would be so helpful for my dad right wow so I was remember thinking if I so when I got the call, first I was a little disappointed. Then I saw the Spanish. I'm like, "Cool, I can make this work. So it was a little more challenging to learn the language because you're in the States, but it's like with anything, I was disciplined. I wanted to learn it bad enough to where I remember actually being in that setting. And you would have a lot of the, the missionaries, right. Would avoid their studies in the morning because you'd study an hour every morning. And then you'd go and teach all day from, you know, six 30 to, to 10, you know, at night, you'd go out and, and knock these doors and, and basically um proselyte But there was a lot of missionaries that would skip their training. And then if they had an opportunity to teach in English, they would do it. It was easy. And I remember thinking, no, I, I was called to speak Spanish. I'm going to learn Spanish. And so when we'd have those situations, it's like, no, I'm called to speak Spanish. If they're, I was laugh, I'm white. Right. But if they were a spot spoke English, I would pass and say, Hey, give me the Spanish people. That's all I'm teaching. So that, that facilitated that so that I was able to go and pick up the language pretty good. So it was awesome. Mission so was amazing.
0: How many baptisms? I, I mean, I, the more I learn about this stuff, the more I got to know, because yeah. it's like the average is two baptisms in two years. So how many baptisms did you have?
1: You know, I don't, honestly, I can't even remember. Um, everyone's motivated by different things. It was interesting. Um, my favorite part about the mission was actually the ability to just work with the missionaries and to be, wow. to help and to teach and to, and to train. That was like my favorite thing. So I had, I know I had over a handful Um, Maryland in the States, you don't have as many, if you go foreign, the baptisms, a lot of times are crazy, right? In the States, a lot of times it's not that way. And so I, you know, I had over a handful, but, but I was, you know, even when we would teach someone and they were ready to be baptized, I was kind of like, Hey, who do you want to baptize? And if there was someone that was really important to, um, that wasn't the motivator for me, it was, Hey, as long as we're doing the job, right. And getting the right results for the right reasons and i was able to go and work in that I, that to me was the biggest probably blessing and thing that i love most about my mission so it was amazing
0: so yeah that's awesome so um you get out of your mission you come back home uh you know, it, then you then you're playing basketball after your mission um what position do you play in basketball
1: two guard so like a shooting guard on the on
0: how the tall are so, you six one. Oh, okay yeah you got a shot still
1: or what you know, I wouldn't say so I've got much of anything right now. I mean, I used to could jump and I could do it, but yeah, I, I'm washed up. I still got it in my mind. But you know, when you go and play and you like, holy cow, your mind thinks you can do certain things. And, and I could still get there if I went and worked out and played. I just, you know, you don't play like you used to. So the answer is no.
0: Well, I don't I could know, dunk until no. I was 33. Yeah. So I, I could still
1: slam dunk until I was about 33, 34. And I, yeah. the last few years, I haven't tried. So. I probably can't do that either anymore. I but. mean,
0: good for a white boy, you know. I mean, I know, not, right? know? <laughs> they always said I, they always said I had lead feet, dude. So I just yeah. never played any sports. So that, yeah. So, uh, are you a Utah Jazz fan or what? Are you? Are love you... it. Oh, love them. They
1: having them beat the Clippers two times in a row. Baby, that was amazing. That was amazing.
0: Yeah, all the, I love so, all the smart, the old smart, like the Sam Taggart to the world, all the guys that are out there, like, you know, talk, taking polls, like on their Instagram, like, are they going to win the finals? And I'm like, well, uh, they, gotta, yeah. they got some stuff in their way, but I think it's potentially possible, you know? No, I agree. I agree. Yeah, that's cool. Um, So you come home, your cousin shows you this check for more money than you've ever seen anybody make in a summer. And, and you just say that, I mean, that that was enough to just kind of get you right into it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think so. I guess maybe specifically here. I think one of the interesting takeaways there was I look back, I'm like, why was I, I was kind of an easy sell. We actually, that first year went out and did really well. We produced about 800 accounts that first year, Kobe and I. And I think the difference was, is a lot of times in our industry, um, I guess two points come to my mind. Um, number one, I think a lot of, everybody wants to be successful, right? Everybody that you talk, no one says, man, I want to be a loser my whole life be poor no one says that everybody wants to be successful. I think the difference is, is there's those that w- that are interested in success and there's those that are actually committed to it. And what I mean by that is interested means I want to do it, but when times get tough or it's challenging, not bad enough to push through those things. And then there's those that say I'm committed. And so when those hard times come or whatever the case may be, they push through it because they're committed to the result and they're willing to pay the price until they get that result. So for me, the first thing was, I, I go back to this. Um, I, I didn't have an an alternative choice. I knew that the current path I was taking wasn't going to get me to where I wanted to go short and long-term. And so for me, I was like, what are my alternative choices? And for me, it was a really logical and easy decision, right? And and I was committed. So I'm sure we're going to get in that more, but as I went through that first year and second and so forth and so on, for me, I was committed. So what that means to me is I, I was never a quitter and I, and I can kind of relate some stories even with my childhood. Um, With that, But I I was never a quitter. So when I made the decision to do it, what that meant was I'm going to make money. I committed I was going to make as much as my managers made. And so in my mind, I think because one, my friend had done it and been successful. And I had a, you could say I had a full knowledge that that was possible. It wasn't a belief. It was a knowledge that it was real and possible. And then I believed in myself. I'd had past successes. I knew if he can do it, I can do it. And so I was fully committed. So the first thing was that, that probably made the biggest difference for me to actually go and start this whole 15 year run where I, I feel like it's been a huge blessing. The second thing I would say is risk. It's understanding what risk is. And I say this, I was thinking through this. Um, once again, as I've reflected And when we go and recruit people, I've always found it really fascinating. It's amazing how many mothers and fathers, friends or family will discourage people from doing direct to home. And the reason, one of the main reasons is it's risky. And I, and I want to just call something to people's attention. If if someone came to me today and said, I've got an investment for you. And I said, cool, when's my exit and what's my return? And they said, cool, at the end of 12 months, you're going to be in the red and you're not going to make any money. You would never do the investment. You would laugh and say, why in the world would you bring this to me? What's crazy and how that applies to our job is this parents discourage their kids from doing that. But at the time when I was going to school at UVU, I knew tuition was 5,500 bucks per semester. I knew my books were close to thousand dollars. I had rent that was 300 bucks a month plus food and everything else that I wanted to go and do. Well, at the current job that I was doing, I knew that my best case scenario, I was not going to be able to pay the bills and I was going to have to get student loans. So I already knew the investment in the path that I'm taking is negative. It's red. So when I had this opportunity to go and do Vivant, people say, well, what if, you know, we get all the time, well, what if I don't succeed? Well, what's okay. Compared to what? What's your alternative choice? You go and succeed at a, at a 12, you know, a nine to five job and you succeed and you still fell. Like knowing that your best case scenario is in the red or negative, what's the difference? And when people understand, so I, I was fortunate, called inspiration to, to be able to see and think that way to where I just thought, my, I'm a college kid. I'm 22 years old. If I felt I'm broke, guess what? I'm already broke. If I have to get out of student loan, awesome. I'm already planning on doing that now. Awesome. Let's do this. And as soon as those two things clicked, the decision to go and do it was really easy. So when I sit down in that meeting and I know, Hey, I'm just getting validation on as what I need to do and how to do it. When the guy says, you can do that. I'm in, it wasn't a hard decision. Let me go talk to my mommy and daddy. It was, I'm in, I'm a big kid. Um, my parents were amazing. You know, they'd given us a, they bought us when we got home from our mission at Camry that Kobe and my my twin, we shared. And they gave us a thousand bucks and said, here you go. Like, good luck. They were farmers. Um, we always had, we're spoiled. We're Americans, So everybody is spoiled. I believe here. Um, but but I knew I also wasn't going to get it from them. So once again, what was my alternative choice? And as soon as I realized that, I'm like, dude, I'm in. Let's go. Let's go make this happen. So those two things, I think for me, made it very, very easy. Um, let me add one more thing. Yeah, I, please. You know, it's funny. People can't, you, you can't recruit, right? Until you've done it. Because, well, I don't have anything to go off. Um, that, that's completely not true. We, the first year we went out and did 800 accounts. And it was a belief. I, and I, it was the belief that we knew Danny, our friend, had done it. And so the fact that he had done it, I already knew it was real. I didn't need to go and personally do it to go and recruit. I knew it was real. And my belief was if he could do it, why would I not want to go and include, and invite everybody that I know? Because I knew what I was experiencing. Why would I not want my friends and people around me to have that same opportunity? Let's go. And, and I'll be honest, we had a, there was a set of twins and some friends that said, you guys are stupid. I can't believe you do that. You know, we had people in our community at home that wanted to see us fail. I can't, you're crazy. Why would you give up your summer? But once again, when you're committed to something, you make the decision, you, you follow through with your decision. And I knew this is what I need to do. And I knew it was right. And so I stuck with it. And it's always funny. The year I come home, people are waiting. Well, how did it go? And as soon as you come home and you say, it went awesome. I did exactly what I said I was going to do. Everybody stops. They think, and then they, they sit in, they're kind of like in a, in a, in a stadium and they're watching this, this thing going on in the arena and they're mad until they realize, because they don't dare to do it. They don't want to do it. They want to, but they don't dare to do it. And as soon as you come back, what happens is then the regret and the wish, I wish I would have done or had the willingness to do what you did. So what was interesting is recruiting the second, third year became easier because now you not only have the proof that you'd done it, you had a bunch of friends that had done it, but now everybody wants to jump on board because you've now taken the step that that people are waiting for leaders to take. And that is to go and influence and to lead the path, right? So it was awesome. So that was kind of how I made that decision. That's kind of a rant, but that's that was kind of my thought process going through it.
0: Nah, Lee's about to go take the... Gang to Starbucks and get a rant for the day. I think we should just clip that and play it when he gets to Starbucks. That was like, that was, that was, that was, was, there's a lot of nuggets there, dude, that I, I hope I don't miss any of them. But one thing that's just like, while you're talking, it keeps replaying in mind, there's this kid, Mo, and I just love, I love social media, dude. Like some people have a hard time with it because of comparing themselves to other people, but I just love it for mostly motivational stuff. And there's this kid, Mo, he owns Simple Solar. I think they're based out of Florida. Um, you know, he just posted something yesterday that like blew my mind. He was like, you know, he, he did like a poll. He was like, it's so funny when I post online that, hey, I got this job offer that'll make you 500 bucks a day. He gets blown up 150, 200 DMs. People want this job. But when he says, hey, we're hiring for reps and all you got to do is knock doors and you could make two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, a million they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh yeah. Like, I'll take the oh, yeah. five hundred bucks a day all day long, but the minute you want me to commit to, like, you want me to knock doors. So that's what ke- that's what kept coming to my mind when you said that. So yeah.
1: Well, and people have to realize is, you know, and this this is when you're younger. I remember my younger brother when he was in high school, right? I always told him. I remember I remember giving him maybe this advice. He said, you know, in high school and life. You're going to want to fit in. It's funny, there's this, it's kind of this paradox, right? We want to fit in. We want to be, we're tribal people. And I remember telling in high school, you realize like if 10 people are doing, or nine people are, t- if there's 10 people at a party doing things they shouldn't, the inclination is for you to want to fit in. And so you're going to want to do what those people do, whether it's right or wrong. But remember, it's the only, it's the one person that doesn't do it that stands out that is unique. And it's kind of this paradox where we all want to be unique. We all want to have that attention. We want, you know, we want to be. We want to feel special. We want to be important. We want to have purpose. But a lot of times we realize, guys, by doing the same thing that everyone else is doing, it's not going to achieve that. And I think that we need to be aware of that which we desire most. We believe easiest. We want to believe that the path, you know, everyone else is going to school or everyone else is doing this path. And somehow I'm going to do the same path, but I'm going to get a different result. I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to have my dream life. You know, I'm not going to get up in the morning. I'm not going to do something hard. I'm not going to exercise, but somehow. I'm going to own my own business. I'm going to take, travel the world. I'm going to do these things. And I'm like, guys, like, it's not how it works on the, on the, on the, you know, contrasting that if you think about the things that are most valuable, relationships, friendships, family, right? I mean, when I say, I mean, I think my wife, my kids, my brothers, my friends working out, um, playing sports, the hardest things in life, even my mission, the things that are the hardest that hurt physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. Those are always the things that you remember and that you grow the most from. And we know that. We know to go to a gym and be successful, I'm going to have to watch my diet and be consistent. It may not mean I need to go every day all out, but I need to be consistent. We know that. And when it hurts at the gym, we know, yeah, it's it's probably going to do that for two days. And it's going to get worse after the second, third day. But then there comes this time where you break through that two weeks, where all of a sudden it becomes enjoyable and you start to see growth and it doesn't hurt anymore. And all of a sudden, we know that in every other thing. But for some reason, when it comes to making money, for a lot of people, we think, I want to get rich, but there's got to be a shortcut. And it just doesn't work like that. So I, I could not I could not agree with you more. Understanding that and then seeing big picture and realizing, hey, it's those things which are typically hardest that bring the biggest yields. Those are the things that we, if it's hard, we should be tackling it, not running from it.
0: I love that, man. And, and I think that, you know, so I, I was there's a there's a new guy that i have um, a new rep that we just got and he's going to hear this for sure and he's going to know it's him because we were just talking in the office yesterday but this will be a couple weeks from today when he hears it but um you know he's like you know i'm 31 dude and i got into this industry when i was when i'm when i was when i was 30 so you know um a lot of these guys are coming in at 22. You guys are coming in right after your mission, you know, early 20s. And yeah, um, and this kid that I, you know, I I think I was like, oh, this kid will kill it. And we're talking yesterday and he's, you know, in his first week alone without anyone with, you know, by himself and he's struggling a little bit. You know, he had a good day yesterday, but he's, you know, whatever. And, um, you know, he was like, he was like, bro, like money, does not motivate me? And I'm like, yeah, I get it. Most money doesn't motivate most people. I was like, what motivates you though? He's like, well, I want to like travel and I want to like skate and snowboard all these places. And I said, you do. So you want a little bit of freedom and time, right? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. So how do you accomplish that? How do you go places? Like, oh yeah. how do you go? I mean, it's his first time renting an apartment. I mean, it's all, it's all his first. Thankfully, my mom kicked me out when I was 18. So I had to learn that earlier, but, but, you know, but, but with these guys, I'm thinking like, bro, do you understand how you travel? Like, what do you, what, how? oh, money, right? I'm like, oh, oh yeah. money, right? oh, yeah. oh, okay. So when we replace the monetary value with what we are, what our goal, and that's, I think too, like, and I don't know how much of this you've done, but that the goal setting and the planning and all those things, you know, pro, I mean, obviously probably you did with your mission and stuff, but you know, yeah. So a lot of good nuggets there from you, man. Like, I, I, I well, like so, that.
1: Let me, add, let me add to something there. I think the one thing that people just have to realize when it comes to money is, even our job a lot of times like, well, oh, I don't like knocking doors, Cool. As a farmer, there's things about farming that suck. There's never going to be a job where every single day, everything is perfect and peachy. That's not how life is. And it's not how it was supposed to be, right? There's supposed to be opposition and things so we can grow and progress. What's interesting, though, is I look at those people. The people that struggle to be productive in this job are those that don't have a big, a big enough why or a bag of why's. The, the bigger the why, the easier the how. And the reality is, is, you might say, I don't like knocking doors. Okay, fine. But what I love is I love people. I love providing a great product and service. I love having the freedom to be able to take my family and have experiences. I love the fact that I can go and bless the lives of others and those around me to have those experiences. I love the fact that I can be a leader, that I can teach and help people to do things the right way. There's all these benefits to come, and what's crazy is this: John Wooden wrote a book years ago. It's called um, Wooden on Leadership, and he actually talks about how if you will be- build your character and the foundation off certain principles and skill sets then then money and success is a byproduct of becoming the right type of person. And what I've found is that as you go and you have the wise and you do things the right way, then money is one of those things that, oh, and by the way, you're getting wealthy. And then what it means is you can go and say, you may not love knocking the door, but you love the trip and the vacation and all those things that you're able to do. And that's because you went and did something that allowed you to go and build wealth to do those things. And once again, it's just, you don't People that say that they're just not thinking big enough and they don't have enough wise. If your list is big enough, then the how becomes really easy. I got to go knock doors. That's it to have all these things. Hell yeah. Let's go. Right. That's, that's what, what it comes to. Right. So
0: I love that. So I want to, I want to touch on your first year. So with your brother Colby, right? So, uh, you got, you got, you too did 800 accounts your first year.
1: Well, me too. And then we brought, I think it was maybe three or four guys. So we went and recruited, I remember the time we had a couple of buddies that we were rooming with, and and uh, guys that we went to college we said, "Hey, you should come out and do it." It's some of the very best ones actually didn't come. It was the guys that you wouldn't have thought and they were the guys that you didn't look at and think, "Hey, these are going to be the killers. they're the ones that came, but needless to say, we went out and between you know four or five of us, we went out and did you know seven fifty to eight hundred accounts that first year. and where was your so, first summer? It was in Nashville, Tennessee Oh, my favorite. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, the downtown was sweet. Oh, it was I fun.
0: I love Nashville. Where, people did you, were great. where where did you mostly knock in Nashville? All over you know, or I can't what? remember.
1: I, I gonna say I can't remember all over. I mean, there was town I remember the town that we loved was Clarksville. Yeah. Right? It was a little military town. Um, but but it was all I remember just the people being good and nice and I think we just kind of knocked the whole place, but I can't remember. It's been so long to be honest.
0: Yeah. Sam was on that Sam Taggart's on that D to D tour thing. And he's on Instagram talking about like his favorite places to knock are like towns with less than 5,000 people. He's like, I've made m- most of my money in small rural towns that like people are afraid to go knock. Right. Cause yeah. they're like, I don't yep. want to go there. It's too small. Like there's no money in that, but yep. like realistically it's like the people that have never, no one's ever knocked their door. So there's no saturation or anything. Yep. Right. Yep. 100%. Um, so what, so, so, what what's your parent I mean what you know your dad's a farmer what what I mean what did he think when you and Colby were like hey man we're going to go knock doors for this alarm company cuz that's what Vivit was then right it wasn't like yeah. what it is now
1: Yeah so so first I mean my parents are amazing I have a my mom is the most amazing woman on the earth um you know my wife too now I guess right I got I've got to be careful there she's amazing too and my mother-in-law I've got amazing women in my life let me say that um but but she, they were always supportive my dad was the same way um you know, it's interesting. I look back, I, I, a lot of what I owe, I owe to them. Um, so they were, they were super supportive, but they were, I think there's always that question. Hey, you just, you, you've been gone for a year. You went and played basketball in in Washington. It was 10 hours away. And then you go on this mission for two years and now you're going to go and leave again for the summer. Like, do you, do you never want to see us again? What's going on? Right. So I think there was this thing like, why would you give up your summer, you know, to go do this? But once again, I, big long-term, right. I'm like, Hey guys, if I don't pay the price now, like I'm never going to get that I'd rather, you know, sweat and, and bleed now, and then be able to enjoy the fruits of that labor let down the road, than go and live that high life now and feel like my whole life, right. You know, do, they all say, do it's easy now. And your life will be hard. Do it's hard. And your life will be easy type thing. You know, obviously the paradox is it both ways it's hard. <laughs> the nice part is, is right. Kind of the irony of there. But, um, the, the point was, is yeah, they they were supportive. Um and, and I would say, you know, the one thing I look back on those guys, they always made me work hard. So I think they they knew it was going to be hard, but I always think they knew we were going to succeed because they knew they'd raised us to work hard. And and if we were going to go do it, they might miss us. But, you know, so they were super supportive.
0: Yeah. So you guys shacked up, you you know, and and who was your who was so, uh, you know, I'm still learning all the other like regionals. So was Brian, yeah. is it Brian? Is it Danny or Brian here? Who was who,
1: who? so So Danny was my best friend in high school that that came and introduced me to it. And then Brian Haney was the regional manager VP of Rexburg at the time. And, and you know, he was doing, you know, he was at the time, he was doing 20, 30,000 plus accounts. So he was amazing. So he was a you know a big dog in the game. And and he's the one that that, you know, when I met with managers, hey, come meet my regional type thing, right? That we do. And so anyways, I went and met with him second. He's the one that, you know, just painted a bigger vision. And he's the one that kind of got me rocking and rolling on it.
0: I love it. So is he, is Brian still around? No,
1: he's not. So shortly after they were only there, Brian was there. Danny and him were there a couple more years and they actually left, which once again, I think we're going to talk about later about the progression of the job, but right. that's, those are a couple of things that I learned a lot from too. So nice. But they were only there for about two, three years and they left and it was kind of left for us to go and And we worked with Vic Martinez, one of my close friends and, and buddies. We worked with him for the next, you know, five, six years. So
0: so you're, uh, you come back from your first summer, you guys loved it. So then what, you know, kind of what was the driving force for year two? Like what did year two, three, four, five, what did those next couple of years start to look like for you and for you and Colby? Cause obviously, you know, you're in this with your brother now, right? So you guys are doing this together. Yeah. You guys are running this business together. So like kind of what did the next couple of years in succession start to look like?
1: Yeah. So you come home the first year and for those that have done a summer, probably one of the most rewarding feelings a guy or an individual, you know, will feel is when they come home from the summer or when you know that you've done something and given it your all. Um, I remember driving home from Nashville and I remember knowing I did it. Um, and it, and it was, I'll be honest, like it wasn't summers are not easy. Right. I mean, I I went and had a great individual, you know, a collective and a good personal, I did well, but, but it was hard, but I remember coming home and, and that, that feeling of satisfaction of knowing, Oh my gosh, I did it. And it's like, 24 hour drive, and I remember for 24 hours I was ecstatic. I was so happy and so just joyful, right? That I went out and I set off to do something. I did it, and I also knew how it was going to affect and change my life. So I came home. Well, people don't realize when it gets direct to home is it just the the amount of freedom. And I I would tell you this: my big holy cause when it comes to this job is freedom. You know, everybody in the United States we're so blessed and lucky. I think we we take that for granted, but we're so lucky to have the freedoms that we have and the opportunity to go and build whatever really we want to build. But even within that freedom, there's a certain level of limitation. And that's, that's that I can only do the things that I can afford to do. And I remember thinking what my holy cause was, if I could do what I want, when I want with who I want and not be restricted financially, that is complete freedom. And, and so when I came home knowing, you know, at the time I was going to school, so I, I, I'd made the money. I, you know, my goal was to go and beat my manager and, and I'd come and I'd achieve those goals and I, and I did, and I knew I made the money, but I, I got a vehicle. I paid my school off. I got an AR 15. Like I did some of those really big things that I'd, that I'd set goals to get, but, but the fruits of that were what were even crazier. So as you get home, you realize because I went and paid this price, everybody else now is going to school and they're trying to balance dating and playing sports and working and everything else that they're trying to do. And I came home and I was like, yeah, I'm going to work when I want and I'm going to get really good education and I'm going to date when I want and I'm going to participate in any and every activity. Why? Because I could. Because I'd now paid the price to where my grades were better and all the things that you want to do in college and the experiences you want to have, I now was able to have because I wasn't limited to, well, okay, I've got to work 40 hours and I've got 40 hours of schoolwork and i got, how do I go and balance a social life Work and all these different things, Vivint gave me that. And as soon as I realized that it, it kind of sparked that thing, or what what if I did it another year? What if I did it two more? I wonder what I could do in three. And that's kind of when I started thinking, you know, I'll do it one more year. And it, I'll be honest, and we're going to talk about that later. But I, it wasn't something I didn't make it. I'm 15 years deep. It wasn't a career decision when I started, not even close. <laughs> but gradually, as I got the success, I started like, I'll do it one more year. And then progressively, I started to see maybe it's something more. So, that's, I mean, that's kind of as far as me coming back. That's kind of where it started, I would say.
0: Yeah, I love that, man. And so let's, you know, your first couple of years, you know, you, you, you so you come back from your first year. Um, you were at UVU still, and then did you transfer to BYU Idaho, or how did that kind of like work for you?
1: Yeah, so we were down there. I didn't, I didn't. I'll be honest, I didn't personally love Provo a ton. Um, basketball didn't work. It didn't it just didn't work out, right? And I'm not going to make the excuses, coach this, coach that. It just we just weren't. It the timing wasn't right, and we obviously weren't good enough to play at that level. Right. We had walked on the team. I I'd had someone I looked up to that had walked on and done really well, but we just didn't have the opportunity to go and play. It was kind of like talk about being segregated. It was like, we literally would warm up on a different court. And so I'm like, well, I'm cool with working for something, but if I can't even, unless like the ball boy. So it was kind of, I'll be honest. It was a shot to the ego a little bit. And I knew I could have succeeded had I had the chance, but we just didn't. So anyways, I do that for a little bit. That doesn't end up working out. Um, Colby's met this girl in BYU, Idaho we just meet Brian and Danny. They're going to be And they're like, dude, come up here. We can hunt fish. And we love to be outdoors. So like, come on, let's go. And we can work together. And, and, and I, once again, when we first got into this job, we were four and a half hours away because of our distance. So I thought, you know what, maybe we do go there. It'd be better for work. Kobe can, you can go marry this girl you like, you know? And, and, uh, so after that year, we transferred to BYU, BYU, Idaho for those, you know, Kobe won't admit that, but that was a big reason for him for sure. <laughs> and he he married the girl. So it was totally worth it. But we went there with him. He married her. And then we were able to work and be close to the guys that we were doing the summers with. You know? I love that.
0: So. I love that. Let me ask you a question, man. Cause I, I, this is from personal experience and, and I think it's important for a lot of people listening, like, you know, kind of where that, where we're at, but. You know, I I I've been in the event production industry since I forever. I played music forever. Like that that was my basketball, and it didn't stop after college. Like it it continued, and and uh, you know I had a little roofing company thing for about a year, but that was short lived, and then came back to Vegas and did production again. And for some reason, the universe keeps bringing me back to doors in, in home, and so for a long not for a long time but for the first like couple of months even here although covid shut it down but even now you know there's a couple there's like little moments where like you know like oh, like now events are coming back and my buddies are doing some big events and my head's like you know i miss it a little bit you know my passion like you said my passion has obviously changed exponentially now with doors but you know the thought will arise right and it did even oh, when yeah, I, when i went to roofing right so so what was kind of that like for you? Cause I think for a lot of people, like they want to take the leap into this arena, into this lifestyle, into this, you know, uh, opportunity, but they're afraid of leaving that thing. So kind of what was that like for you with basketball? You know, if
1: you, once again, you when you give it your best, I mean, the truth was, is once again, I'm not going to make the excuses to where the co I hate when people say, Oh, I didn't get along with a coach. Cause that's essentially saying you couldn't hack it. What I will say is this. I was fully willing to work. Um, and I'd give it all. We went and played at this junior college because I I had, had a plan, right? I was strategic. I want to go play here. I, I played 34 minutes a game. I was a I was I was a good athlete and I was a great defender. And I knew I could play at the next level. When I went to that next level, bottom line is it wasn't the opportunity I needed. I we literally would warm up in a different portion, we would chest pass balls. So I could sit here and say I was a stud. We were not a stud there. And so you do that for so long. And I and I express it. Hey, I'm okay with earning a spot and going through what I need to do, the pain I need to go to earn it. There was two guards at the time I knew I could we were very athletic. We were strong. We were kind of farm. We were meet, our, our probably competitive advantage. We were just strong. We were athletic and strong. And I knew I can, we could shoot, right? We could, that's what white people do. We shoot the ball, right? So we, yeah. I could shoot the ball decent, but, but what I, but what I knew I couldn't do is if I didn't get a chance, then there, we didn't even do the three man weave. I mean, it was like the basics. So I, I went and I expressed those, Hey, I want to play and I'm okay with earning it. But if I can't get that opportunity, what I'm not willing to give up is these other things that are also really important, such as dating, good education, and making money and getting ahead. So I said, I either need to have the assurance that I'm, will, I'm going to get that opportunity, or I'm going to go and, go and make another plan. And that becomes my plan A to where I can go and have, you know, have some control and go and produce. And he was straight up. He just said, I don't know. And so at that point, it wasn't hard. So when I left it, I'll be honest with you, it wasn't hard because I look back, I did everything I could. I gave it my best. And I went to every option. And then when that wasn't a good option, I I pivoted. So I've never once looked back and said, what if not once ever, not even kind of, right? So if you go, if you do things all in the bottom line, I think the life is if you give it your best and it doesn't even mean in this case, it's funny, I'm sitting here telling this story. Like that means I failed, right? In a sense, like I failed at that goal, but, but I did my best. And so I was still, my confidence and my self worth was still high because I did my best. And I was okay with that. So that actually went to help me be successful and vivid as well, because I knew, hey, I'm can, I, I'm gonna achieve what I put my mind to. And, and if it's not, I'll pivot when the time's necessary. So it was never hard for me.
0: Yeah. That's like the Michael Jordan theory, right? At the end of the day, like you haven't seen me how many times I've had to fail to get where I'm at. So, I mean, like, it's like all those sick failures breed, breed more success. So I, I I really love that. So, you know, you're out knocking with your brother, you got this little team of guys, man, like kind of what was, and was it different for you guys because, Oh, I had my brother and kind of what I'm alluding to is like, you know, um, your adversities, you know, emotionally, you know, what are you overcoming at the door in the initial year? Like, you know, was it, okay. was it different? Like, Oh, I got my brother and my friends here. So it's not as hard, you know, kind of what was like, what, what was the hardest things for you to overcome within yourself? Uh, when you're on the doors.
1: Okay. So I actually have, I, as I reflect, I have this, it's interesting. This is one of those questions that I actually have a lot as I reflected. It was really fun. And sometimes almost like kind of emotional because you reflect back and you have these tender things that you look back and at the time were so monumentally hard, but then you look back and like, I'm so blessed and thankful that I went and persisted through it. Right, so couple things. So the first thing was this, um, probably the first emotional thing I had to overcome was this. Um, when we got recruited, I mentioned we were in, we were going or living in Provo and the guy that recruited me, Danny was in Rexburg, who was four and a half hours away. And so by default, by default, I didn't get the training and the help that I wanted to have. And it was interesting because I remember as we would try and go and knock, I had to figure out how to get my shirts and my badges and a lot of the stuff, because I just didn't have someone there. And then I remember we started knocking doors, and we would literally jump in our car and we would drive to West Valley, Utah, and we would knock doors. And my pitch consisted of, I am doing alarms. Do you want one? Like that's how good it started. That's how good I was, right? It was horrible. And we got curb-stomped. But what but I guess I would get I guess what I would tell people listening to this is this. I look back that moment, and what it taught me was to be extreme ownership, to have extreme ownership, to be accountable, and to be self-reliant. Because while all those excuses were valid, I could, in fairness, it, they are real. A lot of times we think our excuses, if it's real, it's justified. And what I would argue there is this, the fact that he was gone was real. It was a problem. It did. It, it was hard. It was true. It was real. But, but me going with that excuse of I didn't have the help, it didn't pay my money. It didn't get my goal. So regardless of whether it's true, it doesn't solve the goal, which is to go and be financially independent. So I made that choice that I'm going to go and figure it out. And because the alternative was once again, then what quit and say my manager's fault. That doesn't solve the pain. Right. So I made that choice to go do it. And that literally I look back. So I guess my reflecting back now, 15 years today, when we recruit people, I often find it interesting. These individuals, they want, it's almost like you will have to like, take them like a baby. You have to feed them and you have to walk their hand and hold them through every process and step. And you have to, Course them to go to meetings and trainings and do all these things, and I look back. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful I didn't have that because it taught me if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And and I think if people would go in this job and just realize, regardless of the area, regardless of the manager, yes, those things are important. So try and pick wisely. But at the end of the day, it's up to you. And the results you do or you don't get, they're they're on you. And so the first thing I had to emotionally come is, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to be successful. And, and I made that decision and looking back, it was one of the biggest things I made because I've never relied on someone else or blamed someone else for my lack of success. There's things I'm like, yeah, I wish I would have had that. But in the end of the day, it's made me more self-reliant than I would have been because I didn't have it. Right. So my biggest difficulty was my biggest blessing, I would say, or one of them years later. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, any thoughts? On, I don't want <clears throat> to, I got a couple more, but no, go I'm ahead. No, off. that's good. No, go ahead. So, so the second one I would say would just be, um, master your craft, right? So we, we had a good sized team, but what was interesting was at the time, a lot of the teams were doing 25 to 3,500 plus accounts. And so there was a draft in the draft, they would draft bigger markets. And so right or wrong in our industry, we often hear, well, it's the market. And, and one of the things I, I always remember is thinking we, we went to the East coast, Philadelphia, and we went to Jersey and we went to California and there's all these different markets where I'll be honest, they were 30, 40th, 50th pick. It wasn't, we were not the top 10 teams. And a lot of people would say, you're going to get crushed. And I remember specifically going to California and it was before people liked California and they said, you're <laughs> going to go there. It's going to be super hard and you're going to lose all your rookies. Well, once again, I have a choice to make. It may be true. I don't know. But what, what's my alternative choice? So I, so I agree with it and I suck and I quit. And I lose all my people. Like, what's what's my alternative choice? And so I remember we went there. Um, fortunate for us, we went to Oildell. We knocked this little town and it ended up being really, really good. And it gave us the hope and the confidence that, hey, I think we're going to have a good year. Well, needless to say, we went there. We did 2,800 accounts. was the biggest year that I'd had to date. And what was funny is once you do something, everybody wants to do it. It goes back to the job, right? Once you sell it, you prove it out there's a million people willing to follow you once wow. you're man enough to lead. Once we went out there and do that, Bakersfield, now we laugh, the Rosedale Hotel in Bakersfield, California, like everybody after that season, everybody went to California. It was close to Utah. Everybody went there. And, and I, I guess I look back that what it taught me was there were so many people throughout our career, and we all see this, where everybody says, I like new homes. I like military. I like this, or I like that, right? Everybody has this, perfect home that they like. And what happens is a lot of times you become so dependent upon an external circumstance or situation or demographic that when you fall out of that you actually don't know how to sell. And you'd see guys that would go and sell 300 alarms and then the next year they'd move out of this you know this oil town they'd sell hundred accounts they'd quit because all of a sudden their ego couldn't take the hit that they actually didn't produce and of course it wasn't their fault it was the market. Wow and I was so I was so fortunate because what it taught me was at the time, Oh, once again, most people or a lot of people would say, well, it's, I'm just unlucky or it's not my fault. It's the market. I look back at that time and I say, I am so thankful because what it taught me, it taught me to master my craft. And it gave me this confidence to where, whether I sold, I have sold everywhere. I've sold the East coast, Midwest, West coast, you name a place I've sold there right or close to it. But what it gave me was the confidence that I'm a good salesman. I'm a master of my craft. I don't rely on a certain type of homeowner to go be successful. And that has allowed me to go and teach people and to be consciously competent in my craft instead of just being, oh, I'm unconsciously good. I I don't know why I'm good. Just say it's not that hard. That doesn't work when you're training people. Or if you're going to be a leader, are you consciously competent? And can you articulate why you're good at it? And can you explain that? Do you, have you had to, you know, and then I, and I go back to that. So I look. It taught me the ability to say, be, because of that experience, I was able to go and say, hey, I learned how to do the job. And I, it's blessed me in my ability to go and help and train others. Does that make sense? So I would say the second thing I learned emotionally was, once again, it's kind of the same thing. Don't take excuses, but it's master your craft. Be a professional. Um, another emotional thing that I went through was, and it's kind of interesting, um, it's not a real job, right? And my, my lesson is, I would say, would be go all in. And the reason I say it is so I was going to BYU Idaho. So I transferred, and that's that's where I ended up spending the last, you know, three, three and a half years of my college experience. Well, when I'm in this college environment, guys, I'm here to tell you like direct to home, not only was it not sexy there, like it was, it was like, it was frowned upon. And it was, I remember sitting in classes, Zach, and I remember professors talking about direct to home sales being a slimy, grimy job. And I remember them making comments directed even at me once they knew that I did it. As to those that do that are bad, like kind of like you're a bad person. And I'm going to be honest, guys, I'm a pretty confident person, but you hear anything long enough, it affects you a little bit. And so it was interesting. So for those first few years, now I'm in BYU and and I'm, I'm being successful in this realm of sales, but I then come home and you're in this environment now where education is important, but then people are telling you that what you're doing is not a real job. And that if you do it, you're actually a bad person. The, so the question then became, well, how do you respond when you get told certain things? And what was interesting is, so it kind of, it kind of culminated and I remember a couple of situations. Um, I actually remember one presentation I did and Kobe and I had to do it as a group and me, Kobe, and this guy named Tyson did this presentation and we aced it and we crushed it. We were so prepared. We were dialed. We crushed it. And I remember after that class, the professor said, you know what, Kelly, Um, you did a really good job. Like I, we got, you aced it. I just can't decide if you guys actually know what you're talking about if you've just developed a silver tongue because of what you do. And I'm sitting here thinking, are you shitting me? <laughs> I, out, I, I invest all this time and I still don't get the credit because I'm just a silver tongue talker. Well, fortunate for us, they end up doing a simulation later on in the year where you had to go build a business on a simulator and you were actually judged and great. It was an individual product. Well, sure enough, we were top two and three of the entire class. So, anyways, it kind of like, put it, take that. Right. But guy, I got that my entire college career. So this culminates to this point where at the end, and I, and I want to take this side note here. Um, so I've got all these thoughts coming. Yeah. You know, we need to think, and, or a lot of people say, should I go to college or should I do this? Should I do this? Or should I do that? We need to have the, the, the compounding and the power of and. And I always believed in that people say is school important guys. And is important. You can do school and be a successful business person. You can be a good husband and be a sales guy. You can sell products and have integrity. You, you can do that. So my, my point with that, I, sorry for that little input, but no, I love it. But when I'm going, when I'm going to do this, so I go to, we have this, this, this award at the end of the year, Kobe and I win this. Um, it's the Newell Keith K. Whitney business program award. So out of all the business students, we were elected to go and receive this award. And there was you know, a handful of people that got it. Well, there's this banquet. And I remember the purpose of the banquet is to celebrate our achievements. And then to talk about, well, what we're going to do after that. And I remember literally having to reflect on this thing and what am I going to say? Here I am, I'm going to get up in front of all these professors and these students and I'm going to tell my knock doors. And I remember having to make this decision because there were people that were going to these big firms with, you know, Goldman Sachs and you know, JP Morgan Chase and these big firms in, a, in the program would be business, right? Oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. They had the title, but I remember they were making 60 to 80 grand. That was their salaries. And they were going to work all year round and maybe have a week off at best and grind them. And I just remember thinking, what am I going to say? Well, I'm going to tell you, it was that reflection that I remember thinking down and I said, okay, what is a real job? And for me, what I found was this, a real job to me was three things. Number one, Do I like what I do? And and there's gonna be those out there say, well, Kelly, you know, did you really like knocking doors? Guys, knocking doors is one fiftieth of what we do. There's so much more to it. if that's the only thing you can think of, then you're just missing the mark, right? We're blessing families, we're protecting them, we're leading others, we're recruiting, we're lifting, you know, our I mean our friends, our excuse me, our families. There's so much that goes into that. But I'm like, do I like what I do? And the answer was I love the people I worked with, I love the opportunity I had to go make money. I loved what I was doing. I'm like, yes, okay, number two was does it give me freedom? And the answer was, I'm like, yes, I can pick at the time I was doing summers, but I'm like, I have more freedom than anybody I know. Okay. And then number three was, is there room to grow? And am I financially taken care of? Well, guys, everyone that does direct to home sales, regardless of what they're selling knows that that's why we do sales. As soon as I realized that I thought, wait, so the real job is what the one that you don't like, that you don't get freedom and you don't get paid for it. That's the real job that that everybody professes to want. I'm like, no thanks. As soon as I came to that realization, I remember standing up. I said, yeah, I made the decision. It's interesting. I'm going to do this as a career. And that is funny. It took me till graduate. That's three, four years into it. It takes me that time. And that is when what's funny. I stood up there proud to say, I do direct to home and I lead and manage people and teams. And as soon as I did, that was funny from that year to the next. That was the year I went from about 180 accounts to 250 plus. And yes, I did. I did 20 preseason. Why? Because I was all in mentally, but, but the 20 accounts I did preseason doesn't make up for the 60, 70 accounts I did on top. It was mentally, I had made the decision I was all in. And so even to another level that I hadn't had those first three years, I was proud of my craft and I went all in. And when I did that, people were more willing to follow me. People were more willing to buy from me because I was all in. So emotionally that, believe it or not, was, was a time that I can remember saying, man, that was emotionally, that was something that I had to decide and make a decision. Does that make sense? Um, Two more that come to my mind was the last, you know, another one was innovate or die. Um, In our job, I think one of the things we, we know when we talk business, if you don't innovate, you die. And one of the things I think we commonly hear in our business is that the job's hard. It just sucks. I can't do summers or blah, blah, blah. And we just, we, we know that the bottom line, guys, for those that are listening direct to home, you're going to ev- evolve as a salesman. Your family is going to evolve. Your friends are going to evolve. Your business is going to change. And the company for which you work is also going to evolve. We know that in a business setting, that's the case. But there comes this point in our careers where a lot of times we think, I know business that works, but how does that actually, we, we're, we're unable to apply it to ourselves. And for me, what that meant was there came this point in my career two years ago. Where I've now done it for 14, you know, 13 years. I've been successful. I make really good money. I live where I want. And it's funny, up to that point, I said I would never move because I do this job because I can live where I want. That's the reason I do the job. But guess what? My family changed. My marital status changed. My guys changed. The maturity, the tenure changed. So I had to make a decision. Am I going to stay here and die? Or am I going to innovate? And what's interesting, and we talk about people say, well, the job that we do, it doesn't matter what solar company, pest company, or alarm company, we talk about it as being a really good vehicle. What does a vehicle do? A vehicle guys is not, it's not, it's not the vehicle that makes it successful. The vehicle, we're the ones that push the gas or the brake. We're the one that turns the steering wheel. We're the one that determines the destination guys. That's why we love the job. That's what attracted us to it in the first place. So what's crazy is I realized, okay, it's it's up to me. And so, what's crazy is we blame. Once again, I'm going to go back. to This it's common theme, excuses, right? It's the job. I just can't do the job. Guess what? Did Vivint or any other company tell you how to do it? They just said, "Look, here's the tools. Go do it. You can make as much as you want. Make you're the owner." So what's crazy is I said, "You know what? I'm going to move," and I moved out to Texas, and I moved to Texas because. I said, I've got to improve the way I do the job. The job hasn't changed. I have changed. And the job, I'm not subject or a slave to the job. The job is supposed to be subordinate and work for me. It's my slave. It's my job. It's my vehicle. So I moved to Texas and I said, cool, I'm going to innovate the way I do the job. I'm going to change the way I live the schedule. I did it more consistently. Why? Because I wanted to have a more active role in the church. I wanted to be a better dad and husband. And I wanted to grow and be around people that I felt like were more Willing and able to, to, to accept the opportunity, so I made a change. And guess what? It was the hardest thing because I'm a homeboy from right. I'm a hometown boy from a small Cache Valley, you know, Utah slash Idaho. That's where I grew up. I loved it, but I made this change. And what's crazy is I look back. The biggest one of the biggest blessings is the hardest decision I made. It change. So now I look back. I'm so thankful I made that change. Emotionally, it was really hard for me, but I'm the reason I'm saying this. And I thought about the people listening. To this is because. There's people that are starting this job, and there's people like me that are 35 years old with two kids and a wife that are wondering, how in the world do you do the job? Guys, it's your decision. You do the job. You make the rules. If you don't like your environment, your situation, change it. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. It's (laughs) up to you. So go and change your outcome. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the fourth one I would say would just innovate. Be prepared to make changes as you need to. The fifth one, and I'll end with There's a lot more, but I thought of the ones that I guess really impacted me was the, just leadership has influenced nothing more, nothing less. And what I mean by that is it, it's, our, our job is really interesting, right? Um, in most jobs, when we think about a conventional job, you move up this ladder, right? It, there's security, there's safety. And what happens though, within that job and that structure is typically you take a job, you learn a skill set, you learn a leadership, you're trained, and then you go the next step and you go the next step and you go the next step. The benefit to that is there's a sense of security and there's a really direct path to get there. The problem is, is you may not be next in line. It may take you 20 years and you may get paid like dog crap and have zero free time in the process. The problem the, the inner, not the problem, the interesting thing about sales is this is in our job, we kind of use leadership and management like synonyms, synonymously. And what I mean by that is in our job, in, there's no ladder to climb. If a guy goes out and re- sells a lot of accounts and recruits a hundred people tomorrow, you're a quote unquote, a leader or a manager. But what I would tell the people listening is that's two very different things. Management is doing things right leadership is doing things, doing the right things the right way. And what people don't realize is if you're not willing to do it the right way and lead, you're never going to grow if people aren't willing to follow you. And what I mean by that is if you're not the leader and you don't have increased your lid or your ability to lead and to do it the right way, no one will follow you. In leadership, you can't say, and, that, and that's the thing I think that sometimes people in our industry skip is they think, well, I am recru- I recruited you, you're my guy, you'll do what I say. If guys don't want to follow you and you don't have people, guys, you have to look in the mirror. Like that's your problem, not theirs. Once again, no excuses, guys. It's accountability. And I, and I say that because as soon as you realize your job is to serve, protect, and to work beside your people and to do it in the right way. That's when you go and lead and emotion. I said because guys, our job is hard. The growing pain is well. How do I go and grow in an industry where sales in general has a high turn, it has a high fallout, guys? That's true. The answer is you, you, you consistently do it and you do it over the long haul the right way. And if you'll become the type of person that you need to become, then people naturally will follow you and they'll stick with you. When we moved to Texas, what's crazy is we literally have some of the best sales reps in the company, and they moved to Texas. Why? Because They trusted that we would go and work with them, protect them and serve. And we don't always do things right. I'll be the first to say, have I done things wrong, said things wrong, ate my, you know, ate my foot. Of course, guys, that's once again, if, if, if a leader's not making mistakes, he's not human, then he's a unicorn. Right. But (laughs) right. I mean, so that's going to happen, but, but you, you've got to remember if you can just go and do things the right way, like over the long-term you're going to be successful. People will follow you. You will have those guys that have similar desires and goals. And they're going to, those are going to be the ones to stick with you and and help you grow the business long-term. So I know that was kind of a rant, but those are just thinking through emotional struggles. Those were five very specific things that I went through that I remember being kind of pivotal moments or kind of reflection points where I thought, man, I need to make sure I'm doing these things to go and really get where I need to get. So.
0: No, man, that's not a rant. That was that was incredible. I, I appreciate that. Um, so, so just so many takeaways from everything you just said. Um, I, I do want to touch on a couple of points, man. So like in what year did you move from Idaho to Texas?
1: So I've been here about two, I guess going on three years. So it was, a, it would be about 2000, what, 19, 18. So, so about that two and a half
0: years ago, that would have been like 12 years for you in Idaho at Vivint, with Yeah. And I,
1: and I, yeah. So I lived in, I live, I actually lived most, you know, when I graduated, I lived in Logan, Utah. And so I was doing it in Utah and I would go down to Provo and after Rex, so I lived in Rexford for those three years and did the three years. And then when I was graduate, I moved to Logan, Utah. And that's kind of where I did it for the next, you know, handful of years. And then there came that point where I just said, Hey, I need to make a change. And that's when I moved to Texas.
0: So, and Kobe was down, like he was down. I mean, like you guys just kind of go together. So is that kind of how that worked or, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Kobe and I, I mean, we're, we're really fortunate. Once again, I says, Riley, Kobe, and myself were we're very, very close. And it's a it's one of those blessings that not everybody has. We're very fortunate. We're um, you know, specifically with me and Kobe, um, we're the twins that are really as identical as you can get. And so one of the blessings that was we were we were always competitive, but we always saw it's kind of like the compound effect, right? We're both ugly dudes, but I always joke because there was two of us, it made us more attractive, right? <laughs> I was laugh, right? Um
0: I love that. You know,
1: it was like the girls, right? You're, you're more handsome because there's twins, right? I always kind of laugh. Um, but in sports, right? He might have a good night. I have a bad night or vice versa, but the Rawlings went for 40 and it was always the the combination of both. So we we were really lucky guys. We, I mean, literally we did every single college class. We've done everything the same. Now, the only thing that was different is he got married at 23. It took me an extra eight years. I got married at 31. So you can tell who's the ugly twin. That's, that's me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right. But, but we did everything together. So when we moved out, it was one of those things we talked about and we're like, Hey, let's do this. And, you know, and that was, you know, Casey at the time and and Bo Gardner and some of those guys, they were the leaders who were saying, Hey, it might not be a bad idea. And so they'd helped with that, you know, or motivate it or maybe bring it to the forefront. But, but yeah, when we made the decision to move out, we moved out and and our partner, Nicholas and moved out. And then shortly after Riley, my brother, and then, and then it became a wave where a lot of our friends and, and close work associates and partners said, let's do it, you know, and they moved out as well. So.
0: So you were in the uh, authentic region as well? Yes, correct. And so what part of Texas did you guys go to?
1: So right now I live in San Marcos, Texas. It's a little south of Austin. And then um, Kobe and Nick and those guys live in Bernie. So San Antonio, Texas. And so I just bought a home down there. So I'll probably move down there as well. So
0: yeah that's that's yeah so what it's been
1: awesome texas great
0: yeah i I, i'm a fan everyone i like is moving to texas so i i i kind of know why uh yeah texas great what's what's been kind of like are you in are you in so with your brothers like colby and riley like is there kind of like a yin and yang is there like a contrast like is you know, is one guy picking up the slack for another guy? Like what's kind of been that leadership role, sharing that leadership role with your team and, and, you know, with your brothers and stuff. Like, what does that, what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So I think we've been really fortunate that way. I mean, maybe the disadvantage was initially when you're recruiting, you kind of have a similar network. And so you had to branch out a little more that way because there's two of us, right? So you're, once again, your blessings, your curses, vice versa, right? So you know i think that way we kind of had the same friends and we were close we weren't the twins that said hey i need to go and create my own name and separate myself from you we were actually the twins that were like hey we're better together and we're you know the sum of 1 plus 1 is 3 with us we always felt like that right so um but yeah there there's certain things that i would do selling and training i really love to do and kobe he does the same thing we're we're more operators i would say but um there would be things where he'd maybe administrate or or handle certain things and i would do others and as long as we're delegating saying hey what needs to get done this week. So we have planning meetings. And one thing that always helps is I think a lot of times in our jobs, we we get overwhelmed or maybe anxious because there's so much to do. And when it's all floating up there in chaos, it's unorganized, then you you get that sense of anxiety. So a best practices, you know, obviously daily and, and weekly I do my personal planning, but on a collective level with our partners, you know, Riley and and Nick and some of these other guys that we work with, you know, our leaders will sit down on Mondays and we'll just go through it and say, Hey, let's l- really quick. Let's look at the core parts of our business, recruiting, training, selling and culture. How are we doing? You know, what do we need to focus on? What do we need to achieve this week? And then who's going to do that? And when are we going to report it by, right? If we'll go through those steps, then it specifically, you can say, Hey, maybe you have five recruits. Hey, I'll take him. You take him, you take him. And let's make sure we have them ready to go by the following Monday. And then you go the next thing, right? Whether it's, Training, who's going to train who and how are we going to do it? How are we doing? Do we need to improve it? Do we need to do something different? When, where, and what's the deadline to make sure we have a certain result? And then, and you can kind of go through that. Cells. how are our cells, right? How can we improve? What do we need to do? What are we going to do to improve them? And who's going to do what? And then last, the culture, right? And in our job, I think one of the biggest blessings of where we work is that there's a really strong culture, right? And and camaraderie and systems in place that go and help build that. And, And if you're a leader, it's saying, What type of culture am I providing for my people? And it it needs to encompass four parts, right? Um, you know, spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, like, and you think about it, like if physically, are they making money, right? If guys don't make money, they're going to leave. Like, it's the reason they get into the job. If they're not making money, they've got to make money. Um, number two, like, are they, you know, even socially, do they like the people they work with, right? Are you providing experiences for them to go into, to, to feel like they're part of something that's special? Right, spiritually, like is there purpose? Like, have you painted a vision and helped them see where you're going and where the company is and what their role is in it? Right. And then mentally, like, are they being challenged and pushed? Right. We have to feel like we're growing. And so as you go through this and build it and then activities and events. And once again, this is a, you know, you, you can talk it perfectly. It's hard, right? These things are really hard to do. If it weren't, then everybody would have a million people selling a million accounts with a perfect culture and no one ever leaves or quits. Right. So, so that's like the perfect thing. But I, I will say, as we've done that, that's helped us to organize and to make sure that we are getting things done and being productive. And that's helped us to to be here obviously 15 years later. So,
0: yeah, no, that, and that kind of like goes right into what I wanted to discuss uh, more about like kind of your daily rituals. Right. And so one thing that I've learned from all these guys, like, you know, the, the the elites of this industry, um, just short of me getting taught on here one day. Um, but you know, um, you know, what, what's like the most important rituals for you that, that on a daily basis, like things that, you know, winning the morning or planning or goal setting, or what is it like, what, you know, for, for Kelly Rawlings, what's like the most important things for you, man?
1: So it's probably very similar to what the other guys have said, but first of all, um, getting up in the morning and just having a routine, I think, it doesn't have to be a certain length or duration. It just, you have to do something that gets you going. Right. And, and for me, I read recently, I recommend, I I was actually recommend the books, um, the miracle morning. And it's really good because it it talks about how there's basically seven things that have been proven to go and help people, you know, um, be successful. And so when I get up in the morning, um, I get up in the morning and say, cool, I'm going to sit, it's called the savers routine. Right. And so the first thing is I'm going to meditate for 10 minutes. I'm then going to say, cool, I'm going to write down my affirmations. I'm going to sit there and think about what I want to be. Right. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk to myself and make sure I'm, I'm giving myself positive affirmation. I'm going to visualize what I want to achieve. Right. A lot of times, some of your most successful athletes, they are people that visualize what does it look like and what will it feel like when I go and achieve these certain things. Right. Um, and then exercise, right. I'm going to try and do that. No, I'm not. And my goal is not to do it six days a week. My goal is I want to go exercise at the gym four times a week, and I'm going to stretch there. I'm real. I have, I'm not flexible but it's fit. It's get my blood pumping. It's flex. And so I'm going to, I know I'm going to go and stretch and do those things that are going to help me. I'm physically getting my body moving. Right. And then read, right. I'm going to go read. I'm going to, um, I'm going to put, I'm going to fill my mind up with something that motivates me and inspires me. I, I, I would say that probably is the single most thing that when you're around really good people and you're reading good things, you think differently, right? We don't know what we don't know until we know it. Uh, And so the question is, is where are you getting it from? uh, Right. And so making sure that you're, you're reading from the very best books and gaining knowledge and networking with the right people that will help you think bigger. And I'm very fortunate when we think of people, um, I look at some of the people that even left, you know, the, the, the Vic Martinez and the, and the, you know, Brian Haney's and the Bo Gardner's and the Casey boss. These are guys that still bless my life tremendously. They reach out they still include me in, in investment opportunities and they, they reach out to see how I'm doing those guys. And they're doing things so much better than I am that those are the people that, that you have to have around you because they make you think bigger and want more. And so I'm going to, I'm going to read, I'm going to, you know, and then last I'm going to, um, um, journaling, right. I don't do it perfect, but journaling is one of those things, guys. I, I hate journaling. So I'm going <laughs> to, to even yeah. say this,
0: yeah.
1: it's kind of funny, but. So it's so funny. I I when I hear that I was like, "Ah, oh, gosh, how do you do this? I don't want a dear diary. Like I don't want to read that. I don't
0: want the kids to read that." <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. I'm not the guy that's like someday I want dear diary today. <laughs> right? Um I, I don't want that, but what I found is this. A better thing for me was what is something today that I learned that would be impactful? And what's interesting is when you go into journaling and thinking, "Oh my gosh, I've got to write five pages, going to take 20 minutes." Guys, you don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I'll speak for myself. When I go into the thing, I'm like, what's something I learned today? And it might be the importance of self-awareness or the importance of giving a compliment. And I think about one thing that I did or I learned or I saw or I heard or I felt. What's crazy, when you go back to your journal and you're looking at like one paragraph that's super impactful, now I would say, if my kids got my journal and they said, what did dad write? I would be happy with that. I would say, oh my gosh, there's this treasure trove of things that were takeaway lessons that he learned throughout the day. Now there's purpose to it. And it's something that I want to read. And I would hope that my kids would not only read, but get something out of it. So even that I'll write something really small and then I'm going to go to the gym. And, and it's interesting. This is something that, you know, Bo's the best at this, but this is one of those things where it's funny before I got married, my, my, my brother and I would always talk and say, you know, you're lucky you're not married. And I, I was 31. So my morning routine could be a little more lax because I didn't have kids clamoring and a wife for my attention right? And, and my brother would say that. But what I tell me was, you also have to realize that you have to innovate or die. And as soon as I knew that, you got to realize when the day starts and the gun goes off. My kids, are they're, they're up at 7.30. Like That's when they're up. So whatever time I want for Kelly, I can't say, well, yeah, but my guys need time. And now I'm doing it from, from 11 to 2 o'clock. I'm like, Kelly, it isn't the best use of your time. Because now there's other more urgent things people that need your time. You should have done it when it, no one needed. My kids don't need my time at 530 in the morning. My wife doesn't care if I'm up. My guys aren't probably calling me and needing something. My customers aren't going to call. I'm not going to get a lead or I'm not going to have to go knock a door. And I'm not going to have to go and be at a certain meeting. That, those are the times that you have to plan and say, if I can go and do this before, now Kelly gets his time I can go become the person I need to become the long-term, hopefully get where I can continually lead and add value to my people. But then I can go and focus on the things and the big rocks during the day that aren't about me. They're about my people. So the first thing would just be that routine. I know that's kind of a long, but just, and guys, that, that can take, you can do it in seven minutes. You can do it in an hour. You can do it in two, whatever time, just have a routine. And then the other thing would just be, um, you know, the exercise and then working. When you plan your week, every week I'll plan, hey, there's different roles and responsibilities that every one of us have. Do you know what they are? All right, and that might say, I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a son. I'm a friend. You know, I'm a leader in the church. I'm a young man's guy. I'm, whatever the case may be, have you articulated your roles and responsibilities as an individual? And have you planned them to when you're getting time and tension? If Sunday night I know, cool, family night's important. Or a certain thing's important. If I go and I plan it in the week, I can say, what are the very biggest rocks that I need to go and plan for? I put them on my calendar and I say, if nothing else got done, if I got these things done, would I be happy? Would I be content? Would I be fulfilled? And then I go to the smaller stones. And then the end, you put in the sand. Those are the things like, hey, I need to go get a laptop or I need to do something that's that, yeah, I need it, but it's not important. It's not urgent. And if you'll go do those things and on a weekly basis, you have the week planned out. And then on a nightly basis, before I go to bed, the busier you get and the more people you manage, the more crucial these things become. When I go to bed at night, I will look at my tomorrow and I will plan out my day. And there's two parts of advice I would give. I've learned this. Number one, you don't want to, it doesn't need to be every single minute. The goal is to be effective, not efficient. You can be, you can be efficient when it comes to businesses and systems. You can't be efficient when it comes to people. You have to be effective. So if you have a plan every minute or every 10 minutes, and a lot of the time to those things. The problem is what happens when a rep or someone needs you or your kids and you said, oh, sorry, I can't break my schedule. It's so, it's so regiment that I can't actually break course. You feel guilty and you hate it because you know the higher value, which is people, shouldn't be subordinate to something that's dumb on your calendar. So you have to make sure you have time. But I plan those things. So when I go to bed, what it does, it gives me the peace of mind when I wake up. I don't have to think right? If you want to start a good habit, you make it easy. If you want to break a bad habit, you make it hard. If I know that getting up and those things are going to be challenging, if I have it planned and prepared, I know I just got to get up and plug and play and my day's done. As long as I achieve these things, I'm going to be okay. So night, weekly planning, you know, nightly planning, I'm getting up in the morning. I'm also reviewing my plans, writing down those things. And then I'm just going to execute on those things. And you're not going to be perfect. You don't need to be, but it's those little marginal gains you know, that, that win a game, right? It's the foul shot that's missed. That would have been the difference, right? It's not. And I'll tell you, it's throughout the game, right? A lot of times when someone loses the game, it's like, Oh, I should have hit that shot. Yeah, you should have, but dude, it was, you shouldn't have, there shouldn't have been turnovers. There should not have been all these different things that led to that. Like, that's just one thing, do the small things consistently, and you'll get the big results in the long term.
0: Yeah. So much good stuff. So, you know, I, there's a rule that I try to live by now is just i just want to get one percent better a day man you know because even you know for me like i you know i come from like an industry where like bro you get i get home at three or four in the morning like or i'm on tour or like you know i'm gigging with rock bands or i'm gigging on festivals and it's like 18 hour days and, and then you know i run it like you guys would run it for a summer i'll run it for a summer touring i'll come home i gotta shut all yeah. the windows all the lights are off don't talk to me for three to five days i'm sleeping like i need my Versus now, like, you know, I interviewed Bodie and I'll never forget the line. He said, you know, if anybody can be lazy, it should be me. And I'm up at 445 in the morning every single day of the week. Because like that would be my thing, Kelly, right? Like I would negotiate Sunday. Well, I'll get up at this time every day, Monday through Saturday. But Sunday, I'm going to sleep in. Well, then what happens? Well, I carry Sunday into Monday. I don't know about you. And yeah. and then I'm listening to other podcasts like Bradley and these other guys are like, well, why don't you plan your week Saturday night? So Sunday's the start of your week so you can be successful. And then if, and then, and then, you know, Troy Gokritz is on here, uh, you know, and he's talking, you know, Troy Gokritz is talking like, you know, like if you're not knocking on Monday, your week won't start, pro- you know? So there's just this whole thing of like, that you got a lot of you guys have that I just admire. And also to, to even to the people that are listening to like, a lot of guys that I'm seeing now that I'm recruiting are within my network of friends and they have no experience with door, you know, cause I, I mentioned this on the podcast all the time, a year ago to the day, I didn't know who Vivint was, bro. You know what I mean? Like I had never heard yeah. of Vivint. I'm like, somebody's yeah. telling me about Vivint. I'm like, bro, I can install a doorbell camera myself. Well, you know, that's my, that's the extent of my knowledge of Vivint. And so a lot of yeah. these guys that I know have no clue who Viv. they have no idea. Right. And so when you, you mentioned the mindset, like we don't just knock, it's if, if, if if all you do is knock doors and you are in, you're something's going wrong. Like something ain't right, you know? And so, a lot of these guys that I've get, I've just changed my paradigm and the guys that I'm recruiting, I'm trying to do the same for them because, you know, it's just the, what you guys have done over these last, you know, decade or so with this, you know, Todd, Todd being the, you know, the cornerstone, I think of all of it is just pretty miraculous. Um, Especially for me because I, you know, I, I need it, man. I need even these talks. Like I just get, we're fortunate. We're all just so fortunate. Um, So what, where do you kind of like, you know, you, you got, we touched on a bunch of this in the beginning, but like, when did it explode? Right. Is it been a gradual thing for you and your brothers? Like when did, you know, this, I mean, doing 30,000 accounts is un- unbelievable. Like when do you guys get to this point where you're doing, you know, over a megawatt and a half of, of solar a year? Plus, you know, you've gotten to 30,000 accounts a lifetime. Like, when do you get to this point? Like, is it just been gradual or was it overnight or really what was it?
1: No, it's, it's definitely gradual. And I think that's the, that's the big lie that everyone wants to believe is once again, I'm going to go back that, which we desire most, we believe easiest we see, you know, and, and I think Muhammad Ali or something said this, right. But you see the guy with the trophy standing in the ring and he's recognized there. What you don't see is all the blood, sweat, and tears that went into the training prior that got him there. And so, no, it wasn't. I mean, it's one of those things when we talk about, count, those are counts over lifetime. Those are over our jobs doing it. Those aren't. I mean, even the solar, all these different things we do, it it evolves and the business changes and you go and do the best you can to implement these systems and to be consistent. And, and then you go and perform and what happens if you consistently do it over, over time, then the results, one day you wake up and realize, you know, Hey, we're, we're doing really well, right? Last week we did over hundred installs in a week in solar. Well, we guys, we've been doing, it's been doing solar for not that long, right? The vivid side of things. But but we would have never thought a month ago we were doing that. But it's consistently putting in the efforts and doing those those different things that you start to realize, man, you know, we're doing the smart home, we're producing the solar, things are going great. It's it's incrementally. And I think if you if you're not willing to do that, you just have to realize you're probably never going to get the reason Bo and Casey and these people that we admire so much are in those situations is because even when they could stop, they didn't. They made the choice not to right? I'm working because I enjoy it. I'll always work. Now I might take a step back and fill a different role at some point in time if something changes, but I'll always work. I enjoy it. And as long as I'm trying to be productive and go and achieve bigger things, once again, more wise than the how becomes, well, I'm going to go do this. And for right now, is that, it is that vehicle for me now. Now if something changes down the road, great. But right now I like the people I work with. I'm very fortunate with the money I make and I'm able to do things you know, I'm, I will say I'm pretty busy. My wife would probably argue this point. I don't... I normally would say I have free time. I haven't had a lot of that in, in the past bit. But but I would say at the end of the day, like I, I can control some of those things. So I love it. We're lucky. We're fortunate. Just grind and do it consistently and you will get the results.
0: Yeah. So. I love that. And and I want to touch on a point that you made earlier like about Innovate or Die. So you know i i made a note here like what what do you think was like and vivant seems to be the you know just they're always you know they're you guys are always on just the next thing um and todd's forecasting and now your new ceo i'm sure will do the same but um what what is like what is the difference bef- like before so when it was uh, you know you had the you know summer league versus now with preseason with a full year now it's like smart home and solar What's kind of like the different push for guys? Like, you know, look at you're going to knock the whole year. You know, I know you probably still have summer teams or whatever. Kind of like, what's like, what's the major difference you see in the business on your standpoint?
1: Well, I mean, I think there's a lot. Obviously, the way you do the schedule of a, a, a summer is a four month sprint. And I think, and here's where I would say: I think that there's place for both, right? If if you recruit a person in market, depending on once again, now this is going to depend on the business. But I would even say, even regardless of that, to some extent, there, there's a reason a Navy Seal goes to camp. It's to get him away from his comfort zones and the things that he can hold to and be comfortable with and around and to put him in an environment where he can fully focus and go all in. The reason I learned Spanish was because I was submersed in a culture and talking to people who didn't speak English. And so because I was in that culture and I made the decision to only participate with those that spoke Spanish, I learned Spanish. And so I think the summer program will always have a, a, a viable, it'll always be really viable for, for that reason. You'll recruit people in market and to go and really make them killers, there is no better place to train people than in a the summer. They leave those things, they're, they're around guys with the sole purpose in mind to go and be successful and to really get sales training As it evolves, however, as you guys have the legacy guys that build the families, the summer program is just saying, hey, you know, consistently doing, same thing, showing up and saying, hey, you might not go and do 15 accounts a week or you may not sell a million solar deals right in a day. But if you can consistently do something every single week with a program and a schedule in place, then once again, you're going to have, it's a different life. It's a more balanced life and you you can go and produce the same, right? Now, that being said, you have to have a little more discipline because when you're in that setting, um, your family's there again. So it kind of eliminates the, I'm away. This is my objective. I'm here. Whereas when you have those distractions, it's very hard, right? So you have to make sure you have a schedule and a routine. And you're doing those preceding trips and you're getting people motivated. So I would say schedule is going to be a little different. Um, you know, you're running a marathon even more than a sprint. And we call the summer. Oh, the summer's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Uh, it is and it isn't. You go a year. That's even more of a marathon, right? It's you got to do it for 12 months. So I think small things consistently done over long periods of time. Like Casey said, you, you, we overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we can do in you know, three or five. And so it's just saying, if I consistently do this a week, there's 52 weeks in a year what does that look like? And then it's just holding yourself to those certain commitments that you make and those schedules that you create and making sure that your people are aware of them and they they participate too. So.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good deal. And then where do you like, where do you kind of see like you and your brothers over the next like 10 years? Like what are your guys' plans? Like, I know, like you said, like Vivid's the current vessel and if that changes, it changes, but like you know, do you guys have any major goals? Like what do you got? Where do you see you guys? Where do you see yourselves in the next 10 years?
1: You know, right now, um, I, I love where we're at now. Things are great. And it seems like every year you think what it will be like, the opportunity is great. And Kenny mentioned this on his, but you know, if you like who you work with, the compensation's fair and you like the direction of the company, why not? I just kind of, I mean, I believe that, right. We all kind of subscribe to that. So right now I'm fortunate. I like the, I love the people I work with. I mean, Kenny and JT and, you know, and, and, and Nick and these guys, I'm fortunate to work with Baker, these guys, like they're great. Right. Um, I like that I'm getting paid fair. And I think the opportunity will only get bigger. So for right now, the foreseeable future is here. I I would say the one, maybe, maybe input I would put, I think the the risk our industry faces in general, um, and not, this isn't a downer. It's just, we got to make sure we do things the right way. I, I think we're so lucky we are so lucky. there's nights I go to bed, I'm just like, "Why me? Why, why am I so lucky to live where I live with the family I have and the opportunities that I have?" Why?" And, and I, I, would, I guess the warning I would say for those listening is, you know, the devil smiles when good people do nothing. We need to make sure that we do things the right way, and we need to make sure that the people around us do it the right way. The biggest threat to our industry is people that do it wrong, and they have a short-term focus on what's in it for me, regardless of how it affects the company or the individual. They make those decisions and then regulations, rules, licensing, everything gets tightened up and it restricts our ability to go make money. So once again, in the moment, the individual thinks, well, if I can just get this deal, it's worth X. But what they do is that they're saying, Well, if I do it the wrong way, I'm I'm taking a five thousand dollar deal or a thousand dollar, whatever the case may be, for millions of dollars over the next five or 10 years. Why would you ever do that? If I said, Hey, Zach, you can make $1,000 on this deal or you can make a million over the next couple. You would never do that decision, but people do that. And we allow it, and we laugh at it. And we think, oh, it's funny or jokes on them. It's not fun. Joke's not on the customer. It's not on the company. It's not on good on you. It's shame on you. Do it the right way so that guys like us that are going to recruit can have the opportunity and we can go and invite other people to have that same opportunity. It, it is a shame on those that are given the opportunity to have a stewardship to go and bless and lift others that don't do it that way. Shame on you. Because at the end of the day, like we will all be accountable for the way we do the job, the way we treat other people and the way that we use our talents. Do we magnify them or not? And so I would just, that's a little, sorry for my rant, but I would say that's the biggest risk. We need to make sure we do that. We are so lucky. Let's take advantage of the direct to home and let's treat it like gold and, and be blessed for the opportunity. Like that's, so that's my thoughts on that. I'm here as long as we keep doing it right. And it should be for a while. So,
0: Yeah. I I feel the same way too. Like integrity is, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's all people are buying at the doors is is your integrity. Um, And what's your experience been with the, with solar? I mean, you guys have been on alarms and smart home for so long now. And solar is probably a big portion of your business now. Like what's that change been like for you guys? Awesome.
1: I mean, the thing with Vivint that makes it great is that guys, where I always tell guys, this is when you start your business, you have to know what business you're in. I always joke, um, we're, we're, we don't sell alarms. We don't sell solar. We're in the business of talent acquisition and people. We hire and train the best and the most elite salespeople in the world. That's what we do. So whether we're selling water softeners, pest control, or we're selling solar systems, if you become a master of your craft, which we talked about a little earlier, it doesn't matter. What I found is this though, what is really fun about solar? So I've done the alarms for you know 14 years, 13, 14 and a half, you know, whatever years. What's interesting is it's fun because right now I'm seeing walls be brought down and even solar. That it's so funny. I think a lot of times, people, for example, people would say, "Well, solar's just it's so hard to sell." I'm like, "No, it's not." When I when I sol- sell a solar deal, the majority I do are probably thirty minutes or less. I know. Well, but but there's so much follow up. I'm like, no, there's not. Like if you prep the customer, I've sold alarms for. I will say I sell an alarm in thirty minutes. Why would a solar deal? Yeah, but it's more money. I know, but. People act how you feel. The only thing they know is what you tell them. If I tell them, "Hey, this is a simple process and this is like shooting fish in a barrel," that's how they that's how they perceive it. So, first, it's solar can be sold the exact same way a smart home can. Well, number two, you have to be in person. No, you don't. COVID was a blessing. Once again, there's inefficiencies. There's always opportunity. And when when that happened, a lot of people stepped back and thought, "Well, once again, excuse. It's interesting. That always comes up." Well, I have a good excuse. And once again, is it valid? Absolutely. And would most people validate you? Oh, you're so responsible. The elite people would say, well, how do I go and generate income and build my business even despite COVID? How do I respect COVID and be a productive salesperson? So once again, we were able to go and develop it and do it over the phone. Well, guys, we do it over the phone in 30 minutes. So wait, so wait. So it doesn't need to be a five-hour sell. There doesn't need to be crazy amounts of follow-up. And you don't have to be in person. Wait, you can't do that. Yeah, you can. It's no different than anything else. It is whatever we tell it is. If you do it the right way and you articulate, you plan it your presentation, why does it have to be different? So for me, I'll be honest, The trans, like not even transition, the, the addition to solar, because we believe that that's one of our secret things is to be able to do both. The ability to do both, guys, and to have the sales skit, guys, nothing changed. It wasn't hard. wasn't a big transition. It isn't hard. It's just different. Same process. So my answer is, is, it's been awesome. It's one more thing that we can add value to our customers, which should always be the first thing. And it's one more way that our guys can go out and make money. And we should as leaders be trying to find those opportunities to where we can go and help our people make more money and have more opportunity. It's been everything that we would want it to be. It's been amazing.
0: Yeah, I don't really have much to add to that, man. That was a perfect way to end this whole podcast. Um, because I just, yeah, I appreciate all that. And I really hope that I can get the rest of the Rawlings brothers on here so maybe I can get the I can get the man to plug us. Um I, I appreciate your time, dude. I know we had to change because I wasn't feeling well earlier in the week. So I appreciate you carving out some time on no Saturday for me, man. Um it's been it's been an honor and a privilege talking to you, man. I've heard a lot about you. So um, you know, thanks for your time, man. And I, I'm sure we'll talk soon.
1: Well, I appreciate inviting me on. These are amazing. So I'm thankful that I got to be on it and hopefully share some things that help people. So thank you, Zach. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks, man. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the podcast. If you have any questions or ideas, please contact us on Instagram at ArcadiaLV or at the Doorknocker podcast. Our show is produced at 11th Street Records in downtown Las Vegas. Thanks for listening.